0: The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org.
1: Tremendous change can start with one small act, something as small as a broken window. That broken window can be one act of crime, one act of neglect, one act of hate. One broken window opens the door to many more and the shattered glass of this house starts to shout the self-fulfilling story of a broken street. Before we know it, reality begins to bend around this new perception. This distorted environment starts producing refuse it never had before. Value drops, poverty rises, homelessness moves in. Broken homes and families, abandoned wives, mothers and children. Gangs, violence, murder and a drug epidemic taking more lives than we can count. Word begins to spread, from conversations to a headline to a full-blown narrative. And finally, we're branded with the ugly nicknames and a repulsive reputation. The condition of the street spread to the block, transmit to the community, and infect the entire city. And from one broken window, we're now left with a broken city. Well, tremendous change can start with one small act, so that's where we start. With small, singular acts of goodness, we fight neglect with care, we combat crime with service, and we battle hate with love. We mend, repair, rebuild, one window at a time, as God's hands and with him on our side, we serve, give, and live for our city, believing that the tides can and will be reversed, believing that we are the catalyst that transformed this city, healed, Mended, restored, made new. We stop the trash talk, flip the script, change the conversation. We rewrite the headlines and recreate the reputation our city will carry. God is for our city. The church is for our city. And we are for our city.
0: Is it worth it? I want you to put that question in your mind as I share. Is what you're chasing what you're spending your time on, what you're investing your energy and your attention into, is it worth it? And will it matter 100 years from now? Will what you're doing matter? Forget 100 years from now, even 50 years from now, maybe even let's shorten it, five years from now, What you are busy doing, will it matter? I'm curious how many of you remember the kind of like the viral sensation game, Pokemon Go, that was actually crazy popular about a year ago. And so real quick, like if if you remember that game, just give like a big, quick shout out. Even if you're joining us at one of our campuses, just yell right now. Okay. Good, so those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, Pokemon Go, which I actually had really have very little awareness of, uh, I became aware of it because I started noticing groups of people that I thought maybe had become part of the zombie apocalypse, because they were standing around in groups by like telephone poles or like in the middle of a field, literally just standing there, like going like this. And I'm like, I'm like, what are they doing? What's ha- like, what has happened to our community? I was, at, I, we were actually at the beach as a family, and I saw like clusters of people on the beach, standing there facing a telephone pole. And I literally like, what are they doing? Like, what did they find? And I, I so I'm very curious. I walked over and I was like. And they were all on their phones. There was parents on their phone playing this game, neglecting their children. And I'm like, we're in trouble. And, and so, okay, those of you who have no idea. So there was this game that, in an innovative game, where somebody figure out how to create an app on our phones that it was a virtual game, a digital game that overlaid into the real world. So you're playing the game and you're hunting for little Pokemons. And by the way, those of you that love this game and you're, you're a tech nerd, like, and if I say it wrong, please forgive me. But the idea was you played this game on your phone, but it was happening in, it, it was like happening in the real world geography. And so you have to actually physically go to a location where a particular Pokemon is and then you try to capture it and you get points for getting that. And, and I think that they became more and more valuable. And, and so So, you know, people are like mindlessly going through their life, playing this crazy game, trying to accumulate more and more Pokemon, I think, in order to get a useless score. (laughs) And then, correct me if I'm wrong, like, I don't know that anybody still plays that game. In fact, most of you forgot, uh, one of you does, Uh, but most of you forgot that you even played the game. And when I said it, you're like, oh yeah, that's right. That's so funny. I remember that. And the truth is after a while, people got bored with it, even though they had accumulated a whole bunch of points. Some of you, I mean, you were Pokemon awesome. I mean, you rocked, you owned it. You controlled gyms and stuff. I don't even, I'm just making words up. I really have no idea. But here's the, like you dominated the game world and you were phenomenal. And, um, And, but after a while you got bored and then you downloaded a different app. And I wonder how many of us are playing real life Pokemon Go. Meaning our lives are very much like that game where somebody... Encouraged you to join the game, and you got caught into it, and you've been running like a crazy person, going after real life Pokemon called, you know, degrees and promotions and raises and cars and fashion and whatever else it is that you and I are supposed to be chasing and you have invested your life, you've planned ahead, you've worked hard, you've driven your life to accomplish and achieve and accumulate. And I wonder how much of what we've got our hands around and we've spent our time on is nothing more than a Pokemon Go useless score that at the end of the day, no one's gonna really care anyway. And it will matter to very few people And at some point, our life will be forgotten like Pokemon Go and all of our efforts and all of our investment will have been worthless. In fact, I feel like I got sucked into that at a young age being told this is what life is. And so I started planning. By the time I was six, 17 years old, I had life all figured out. I knew everything I was gonna do, everything I was gonna accomplish, everywhere I was gonna go. And I was gonna win, I was gonna win it. I was gonna accomplish the American dream. And then the older you get, you have to plan more and more. Then you have kids and then you have to have a will and you have to have a power of attorney and you have to have a living will. And then you have to have retirement planning. And I started writing up all the things you're supposed to plan for. Like you have to do financial planning and you have to do retirement planning, you have to do tax planning. And then you have to have insurance to protect everything that you accumulate. And so I made a list of all the different insurances we were supposed to have, right? And I think I have a lot of these, like disability insurance and life insurance and health insurance and auto insurance. And with an auto insurance, you have a couple different options because you can have full and collision and liability. And, and then you have to have homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance. Or you have homeowner's insurance. You have to also pay to insure the contents and get to figure out how much stuff you actually have that you've won from the Pokemon game. <laughs> and, and, and all of this planning and all of this working, what is life? And there is an author of a letter. The letter is included in the Bible. It's the letter of James written to the scattered church, a church that was persecuted in trouble And they were persecuted in Jerusalem. And so many of the Christians, thousands of Christians left the city of Jerusalem. They were living in mountains and hills and some relocated to smaller villages. Others traveled further to go to other cities where they could restart life. But the problem was hurting people hurt people. And so they were abused. And so they passed on the abused, the abuse. They were hurt. And so they took advantage of those that were weak. And so James in his letter, he challenges these business minded, people not to let the abuse that they've received cause them to abuse others and the hurt that they've been, that others have poured into their life to pour out of them. And so he continues talking to that same group of people. And I challenged you last week that that's us, all of us, who have been hurt, have a tendency to hurt, and who've maybe been taken advantage of, who will look for ways to take advantage of others. And in James's writing, he's talking to that same group of people, and he says this about life. What is life? And he goes, now listen, this is James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And he's, he's not addressing the issue of planning. He's not addressing the issue of like, should you plan ahead? Should you work hard? Should you plan out a, uh, a business uh, model? He's confronting the mindset that you and I try to take control of our life. And we get trapped in the Pokemon Go game, where we are just going, going, striving, striving, never slowing down to stop and say, is this right? Is this best? Is it worth it? There's a website you can go to. There's actually a couple of them, uh, deathcalculator.com or findyourfate.com. And so I went on there and I tried to calculate, like when is my death date? Uh, I don't really, believe you're going to actually know this, but anyway, mine is uh, February 26th, uh, I'm sorry, I was going to, February 29th, no, um <laughs> never going to die, no, um, <laughs> February 18th, two, uh, 2069, and I'm going to die at uh, the age of 92, and I was like, oh no, I have to die sooner, because I don't have enough retirement for that, <laughs> I haven't planned that far ahead. Uh, In in the poem Invictus, the author says, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my ship. I am in control. I am in charge. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to call the shots. I'm going to plan my life. I'm going to figure it out. I get to set the course of my life. And that's what James is addressing here. He's confronting us and challenging us with how we approach our life. And so then he continues in his challenge to us. But before before I continue reading his challenge, let me just put this out there. Do we ever stop and we look at our life and say, am I so focused on myself that I've missed others? And for our city effort, we're trying to broaden our focus off of our own lives and say, do most of us even slow down long enough to see the neighbor? to see the person sitting on the street corner. That one in eight individuals in Washington County are living in poverty. Poverty, which would be uh, for a family of four living on $23,850 or less a year. And uh, some of you are like, hey, that sounds good. Um, yeah, not if you're a family of four and you're trying to figure out how to pay the bills. And, and so one in eight, and in, uh, in our county, so I wrote so many statistics down, so don't worry, I didn't write it all of my Bible. I just have a little sticky note here so I could keep track of this, but um, that puts Washington County as the eighth highest uh, impoverished county in the state of Maryland in 24 states. We're number eight of 24. If you look at our our children in poverty, it's actually 20% or 1 in 4 children uh, or 1 in 5 children are in poverty. And 8% of our senior uh, population is living in poverty. If you look at demographic groups, so the African American community, 31% are living in poverty. In the Latino community, 22% are living in poverty. And female-headed households, the poverty rate jumps to 37%. These are staggering numbers when you look at that That means that the average person you walk by there's a lot of them that right now are living uh in poverty and so what is our response because I feel like too many times you and I were raised to think good then they need to get a job or what are they doing about why don't they go back to school and as a result I think that we make ourselves experts in other people's pain And we make ourselves the judge of other people's poverty, but never slowing down long enough to get our eyes off of ourselves and say, yeah, but what about others? What is our responsibility to others? And that's where James speaks up and he says this, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And I was thinking about that when I looked at that death calculator day and I thought, you know, that's, that's the most they're giving me because you and I both know life is a mist. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And too many of us have been to too many funerals to know that, 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 that there's anything otherwise than the reality that life is short and it's so final. And, and as a result, so many times we go through life feeling like life is not only final, but life is futile. And what am I working toward? And what is the point of this? And what is the point of this game? I'm in. And that's really what James is getting at. He's saying there is an arrogance to saying, I am in control and I call the shots and people who brag about what they've done or what they've achieved or what they've accomplished. And he goes, No, no, no. Life is a mist. This thing is here today and gone tomorrow. And at the end of the day, what will matter? And will it have been worth it? what we've spent our life on, will it make any difference? And that's the challenge I wanna give you, is what are you and I working toward? What are, we, what are we striving towards? So then he gives them, okay, what do you do? In light of this reality, he goes like this, instead, you and I, we ought to say, it is the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag, all such boasting is evil he goes our our approach he's talking to a group a church a scattered church that has suffered under persecution and threat and abuse but in response to their difficulties, in response to their pain, they've passed that abuse on and now they're trying to take control. Never again am I gonna be driven out of my home. Never again, I've, I lost my job once, I'm not gonna let it happen again. And so you've got business-minded people who are planning ahead and they're working really hard and James is writing to them and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. In response to the difficulty you've been through, don't get so caught up And don't be so consumed with consuming. Don't make yourself the focus of your life. And he goes, so here's the response I want you to give. And and so our takeaway, a very practical way for us to respond to this this teaching of James is this. And I wanna encourage you to write this down across our campuses. Would you write this down right now? I want you to pull out a pen, paper. Here's what I want you to write down. This is the practical application that you and I are called to live urgently. Live recognizing that our time is short. Live in light of eternity. Why is our life a lot like Pokemon Go where we are running and chasing and then it's forgotten too quickly? Because the reality is there is nothing that you and I pursue that will ever fill or fulfill. It will never satisfy. So that's why they refer to it as the pursuit of happiness, because you can pursue and pursue and pursue and yet never actually arrive at a place of contentment and happiness. And why is that? Because deep inside of us, we are living a temporary life. Life is short. And so then we want to get all we can and enjoy all we can and have all we can. And yet nothing we can satisfies. It fills, but doesn't fulfill. We consume, but then we need to continue to consume. Why? Because somewhere deep inside of us, we are broken. What is wrong with life? It's that life is temporary because it's being sabotaged by sin. Sin, the spiritual corruption inside of every one of us. Sin is the curse every one of us were born with. And it's what causes our life to end so quickly in death. Sin, the spiritual corruption inside of every one of us that drives us to turn our back on God and to live our lives in the pursuit of our own happiness, which is pursuing our own selfish interests, leads to our ruin. Why? Because when we disregard God, we live a life of emptiness and futility. We're chasing the wind. We're literally playing real life Pokemon Go. And sin, which corrupts our desires, leading us away from God, making life meaningless and empty, actually has a final far worse ruin where our life ends in eternal judgment. That's the bad news. The good news is James is writing and he says, what we need to do, what we ought to do is this, recognize if it's the Lord's will, then I will live and do what he's asked me to do. And so I wanna challenge you right there. What is God's will for your life? God's desire is yes, first and foremost, that you live. that that you are truly alive, that you're not just surviving, you're not just playing a game, you're not just going through the motions, that you are truly living. And what do I mean by that? When Jesus Christ came to earth, he came for the express purpose of taking your sin and my sin, our curse of sin, the eternal judgment against sin on himself, so that when Jesus died, he died once for all, And Jesus' death became the payment for our sin debt. His death became the absorption, or he took on our eternal death sentence, so that when Jesus died, he died once for all, so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sins and given new life. How do you receive this new life? You might look the same physically, But what's going on spiritually is previously you were dead and you were empty emotionally. You were empty in happiness and chasing after the the real, the real life Pokemon Go. But when you believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit enters your spirit, making you truly alive. That's when he forgives you of sin. When we repent of our old way of living and we believe in him by faith. When God's spirit enters our spirit, he fills us. He satisfies us, he gives us true life. Now with God's spirit in us, we have eternal life. Whoa, wait a second. Now I am not living trying to survive on this earth because I know that even when I die, I only die physically, and temporarily because now death becomes a doorway to forever life. So right now, anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is actually presently living forever. But are we living in light of forever? Am I living in light of eternity? And that's what James is driving at. In the busyness, in all of the going, in all of the achieving, in all of the accomplishments, in all of the acquiring, in all of our attempts at winning the game of life, are we living in light of eternity? And are we living urgently, realizing that we are not promised tomorrow, we are given as a gift today, and am I living every day in light of eternity, And so how do we live this life in light of eternity? How do we live urgently? And so let me just go back and challenge you. He says this in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. The key here is this, he's giving a challenge and he's saying, if we're gonna live urgently, if I'm gonna live every moment of every day in light of eternity, then I need to make sure I slow down and live according to God's will. I want you to write that down. If I'm going to live urgently, then I have to live according to God's will. That means I don't get to be the master of my fate or the captain of my ship. That means I pause and say, God, why have you given me another day? Look, here's the reality. Let's let's pause and think about this. If it's true that when you believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit enters your spirit and eternal life is living inside of you. If it's true that when you die, death becomes a gateway to eternal life with God in paradise forever, and that heaven is far beyond anything we could possibly imagine. If heaven is amazing and the best you can experience on earth is simply a tiny taste of the, of the most benign things of heaven, all right? If that's true, then why are we still here? I mean, right? Like I shouldn't be all that worried and upset about my transition from this life to the next life. And that's what James is driving at. He goes, we wake up every day and we say, hey God, why am I still here? Like you didn't, I mean, you could have kind of taken me in the middle of the night. That would have been really cool. And by the way, I'm not saying this morbidly. I am suggesting however, that you and I need to pause every day when we wake up and realize, wow, today is a gift. What do you want me to do with it? I'm not in charge of today. I don't get to set the course of my life today. I don't get to determine why I'm alive today. You gave me the gift of today. What am I going to do with it? So every day we live urgently in order to accomplish God's will. Meaning I say, God, what is your will for me today? Many of us, we get caught up in looking at God's will as some faraway thing. I'm trying to live today to eventually catch up with God's will 10 years from now. No, no, I assure you that God has a specific purpose and desire and will for your life right now. Tomorrow morning, if and when you wake up, he's gonna have a purpose for your life tomorrow morning. He has a will for your life every day. And our responsibility is to say, God, what is your will for my life? And so God has planted. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11 says, God has planted eternity eternity in the human heart. You were made to live forever. So the fact that you're still here on earth means God has a unique assignment for you. Life is temporary in this physical world, which means every day is an assignment God has given you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. And so my responsibility is every day to wake up and say, God, how can what I do today matter for eternity? Can I challenge you? That, it's a prayer I pray every morning. And I would love if you begin to pick that up and you begin to make that your personal prayer where you said every morning you were willing to wake up and say, Jesus, may what I do today matter for eternity. And what is God's will? Well, let me make it really, it's not complicated. It's not some mystical thing. God's will for your life is clearly outlined in his word. God is inviting us to live in obedience to his word, which means I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to map out my life plan. I simply have to obey. And there's a tremendous amount of freedom in obeying. Now, what are you obeying? How do I know what God's will is? Well, I'm gonna kind of like reduce it so that you can kind of more simply recognize it when you see it. Nearly every time God's will is to love God and love people. Love God by loving people. Serve God by serving people. It usually will be sacrificial meaning it will usually cost you something. Another way of looking at God's will is, it's usually counterintuitive, meaning it goes against your natural instinct. So when your instinct is to gain, usually God's will is to give. When your instinct is to serve yourself, God's will is to serve others. When your instinct is to put yourself first, God's desire for your life is to put others first. And so the kingdom of God, kingdom of God is a word referring to Uh, anywhere where God is king. So if Jesus is the king of my life, then I want to follow his will. God's will for our life is to serve when I want to be served, to give when I want to gain, to, to love extravagantly when I expect others to love me, to forgive when I've been wronged. That's God's will and it's very counterintuitive. And when we begin to live God's will because we're living urgently, it's like going to work and and I'm an employee and I'm saying, what is my responsibility at work today? And you and I wake up every day and we go, Jesus, you've given me a new day. What is my responsibility today? And this day is gonna come to an end and I want to have done right by you today. And then James continues. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, he sins. And I want you to focus on the, anyone who knows the good he ought to do. The point is, if I'm living urgently, I'm not only doing God's will, but I am doing good. You catch that? To live urgently, I focus my life on doing the most good. What is the good that I am called to do today? What good can I do right now? What good can I do in this moment? That's what I want you to challenge. I want to challenge you to put your focus on. Here it is. Um, I I would I would strongly challenge you and encourage you in this regard. It's uh, from Ephesians chapter two, verse ten, where the author, the apostle Paul, writes this: "For we are God's workmanship." God handcrafted each one of us, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The author, the apostle Paul says, every one of us who believe in Jesus by faith were handcrafted. You were accustomed to de- design for a unique good work that he has put in your life every day. And our responsibility is to simply walk out every day those good works. What does it mean to do good? It means, yes, it means to do right. It means to do right now. If it's the right thing to do, then it's the right thing to do now. I think our tendency is to go, okay, when I get to it tomorrow, no, no, no. If God has given you it today and it's the right thing to do, then you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to go back and study the Bible. I think sometimes we make excuses to not do the right thing. Well, let me, I should pray a little bit longer about this. No, if it's the right thing to do and it's God's will, then do it. That's, I think, our challenge. So how do I know what I'm supposed to do? What's the good that I'm supposed to do? What is the good I'm called to do right now? And I I would challenge you with this. I have one of my favorite quotes. Uh, It's by a chaplain, Daryl Britton. He says this, he goes, I want to stand before God tired and sweaty and broke because I invested my life and my resources in God's kingdom and for the benefit of others. And that's kind of my dream. Here would be my challenge to you. Give sacrificially. Love extravagantly. Forgive when others have wronged you. Go above and beyond. Waste your life for the benefit of God and others. Don't consider what it's costing you. Consider how it's going to honor God and benefit others. Don't calculate the cost of what you can afford. I'm not saying you should be unwise, but calculate how much you can give. We, we live on less to give more. We serve God in what way can I honor you? How can I use today best to give to you? That's how we wake up every day and say, God, let me do the most good I can with the day you've given me. Look, let me say it this way. I, I've thought about this from the perspective of, as a church. So it's my responsibility to lead us and so I get the privilege of being the visionary leader, of setting the course with how we, how we handle finances and how, what ministries we're gonna focus on. I'll just be honest with you, as a church, I want us to make that our statement. I wanna stand before God, tired and sweaty and broke because we gave everything. We gave every ounce of energy. We gave every opportunity. We gave every dollar we had to honor God and to serve God and to build his kingdom. And may that be what's said about our lives. The picture I have is that I crawl my way into heaven. Man battered and beaten and bloodied, who cares? Because this life is temporary. This isn't the whole thing. This is just a Pokemon game. This is like, don't live it that way, right? I wanna give God my all. And I wanna invite you to give God your all. This is a moment where I say, God, I surrender my ego. I surrender my agenda. I surrender my desires. And I totally am willing to serve your purposes, your desire, your agenda. And so I can assure you as a church, We're gonna give everything we have That's why we try to constantly model generosity to you. We wanna give and give and give. And when it hurts, we wanna give more. We wanna send people on missions. We wanna support missionaries. We're willing to have church in a church building and have church in a theater. We're willing to serve our neighbors and serve on our streets and give in our schools. We're willing to do whatever it takes so that one more person has the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and his love for us. That's why, that's how we wanna model what it means to do good. And that's your opportunity and that's my opportunity. And I wanna just simply invite you to respond. And really this is one of those moments where it's a little bit crazy just to say, yes, God, okay, I get it. I get that I have a date with physical death and I'm not promised tomorrow. And I wanna live urgently in light of the fact that this life is temporary and it's an assignment given by God. And so I'm gonna live urgently by doing God's will and doing good. Some of us, Some of you that are right now, you're considering this. You're at one of our campuses and you're saying, what is my life? Is it worth it? And this is your moment to say, you know what? I need to stop chasing empty Pokemon. And I need to live a life of surrender to God. So can I encourage you? Would you just close your eyes for a moment? And would you pray? And your prayer is this. If you're you're in a place where you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, can I encourage you to pause and acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. He's the only one that fills and fulfills. He's the only one that truly can matter. And maybe you need someone to fill your life and that someone is Jesus Christ. And you're in a place where you're willing to say yes to Jesus. Can I encourage you to make that your prayer right now? For others of you, your prayer is, man, I I believe in Jesus by faith, but I've not been living in light of eternity. I've been doing my own thing, pursuing my own dreams, running after my own goals. But today I'm willing to say yes to doing God's will and doing the most good. Would you take a moment right now and make that your prayer? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, Life change happens here, so we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.